we have to refrain from our desire to answer each controversy, each political view, or each objection of the faith. We answer people who have those issues, yeah. but the Apostle Paul, under the guise of the Holy Spirit, I think, was very clear. We answer people, because questions don't need answers, but people do, yeah. and they use their questions and they use their objections to get those answers. Well, hey there, Woodside family. Uh, Pastor Chris here. I am so excited for this edition of The Link. I want you to do me a favor and share this on your personal Facebook pages because I believe that the conversation we're about to have is one of the most crucial and critical of our time. Maybe you have heard about people leaving the Christian faith lately. Maybe you've heard of prominent pastors or worship leaders or the term ex-evangelical has uh, been a buzzword in our times, but all of it is speaking to a movement, a movement that is uh, throughout church history, but it certainly had a revival in recent years uh, that's known as deconstruction or the deconstructing faith movement. Well, what's behind it and uh, how do we address it as a church? Is there a place for people to really have sincere doubts that are dealt with in a loving way or does it always have to lead to leaving the faith? We're going to talk about that today, and I'm super grateful for my guests that are with me. First off, pastor of our Dearborn campus here at Woodside, Dave Carlson. Dave, we love and appreciate you. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me, Pastor Chris. I'm uh, excited to be able to be here and share with our church family. Yeah. And then Abdu Murray, who many of you know, author, apologist, and one of the great thinkers of our time. Thanks for joining me, Abdu. Great to be here. Thanks a lot for having me. I'll start with you, Abdu, and then we'll just kind of have a conversation about this. But uh, let's define deconstruction because uh, oftentimes uh, it's a new term for people. But if you had to put a definition to it, what would it be? Well, there are several ways it's, when it's used, and oftentimes it was uh, used classically as the um, effort to derive meaning from something someone said or something someone's written based on your own personal perspectives and to deconstruct an objective meaning and make it personal to yourself. How it's become applied lately is um, taking little facets of your faith and examining them and uh, saying, okay, is this really true? Why do I believe this is true? Um, should I doubt it? Why am I doubting it? Are there good reasons to, to, to disbelieve it? And then what ends up happening is you take a bunch of these little, what I would call bricks of deconstruction, and then you start to build a wall, and pretty yeah. soon it's a wall that's to separate you from the faith you started to deconstruct. So um, it can have a positive aspect to it, which is I want to know why I believe what I believe. Yeah. Um, or it can have a negative aspect, which is I'm going to challenge why I believe what I believe because I'm starting to have very serious doubts and then those doubts are given their full sway, and then it leads to disbelief. Yeah. Anything you would add to that, Pastor Dave? Yeah, I just love that, being able to draw out the positive and the negative, because I think there's so much that goes into how we approach something like deconstruction that really will determine the outcomes even before we go through a process. Yeah. Mm. And I think so often it has to do with the tone with which we approach it. Mm. Um, so often, um, I, I've really been blessed in just trying to understand this by Matthew Lee Anderson's book, The End of Our Exploring. Wow. And he talks about, uh, he quotes Kierkegaard there, saying that doubt used to be the end product of our life, that we now have a foundation from which we can be skeptical of that's, that which is presented to us. But now it seems to be the base attitude that we adopt toward all of life. Mm -hmm. And when we have this base doubt without defining our questions well, without understanding the questions that we're actually 
asking, it becomes impossible to ever come to an answer. And so if we're questioning individual pieces of our faith, maybe things that have been stacked on our faith that aren't core or central to our faith, I think that can be okay, but if we're introducing doubt into all of faith and saying that we can never truly understand yeah. what's true, I think that's a problem. Anderson also says um, it's important for us to question our questions mm -hmm. and to yeah. say, are our questions an invitation into the rebellion? And I think that's a really yes. important way to think yeah. of it. Yeah. Am I being invited to rebel against God or am I seeking deeper intimacy with God through understanding him? because his truth is beautiful and deep. He is an infinite God and we get to spend eternity getting to know him better. And so if we're diving all of eternity more deeply into intimacy with God, then deconstruction can be really beneficial in terms of saying, this is what I, I have understood, but what yes. does God's truth and word reveal? What do I learn in community about who he truly is? Yeah, you know, it can be a scary thing though when you're watching someone you love go through a process of deconstruction. I think about all the parents who might be listening to us watching um, their son or daughter who they raised in the church now questioning from a place of doubt, is any of it true? Is the Bible true that Jesus really exists? Is what I learned in Sunday school, is it real, is it true? I can think about many spouses that I've talked to, primarily wives who have husbands who are now considering uh, walking away from the faith. That can be a pretty uh, scary thing. So I wanna make sure we acknowledge that, that though there are some positive outcomes, I just wanna acknowledge the emotions that come along with it. I was reading Richard Mao uh, recently uh, from Fuller uh, Theological Seminary, who said there are three stages that we all go through in faith. One is construction, when we are building um, our faith. Secondly is deconstruction. Typically he says something happens in life, a life event or we're challenged with some big uh, question that we're not able to easily resolve where we begin to deconstruct faith. But then the third stage is reconstruction where we reconstruct something after that. And I do pray that those who are going through deconstruction would ultimately find on the other side of that, that there are real faithful answers that the gospel gives to life big questions. But Dave, what are some of the big questions that people are asking that may be leading them to deconstruct? Yeah, if uh, you read some of the leading voices in the deconstructionist movement, they often identify social reasons as why people are beginning to deconstruct their faith. Okay. That they will um, identify political conflation with theology. Yeah. And I understand everyone watching this has their political philosophy. But if you're I didn't church, know politics were big in the church. <laughs> you, you, you know, we haven't talked about them in a few decades, but apparently the people have been thinking about them. That's right. And so th they're out there. And a lot of times this conflation, if you have a different political philosophy, yeah. it can be a problem. As our culture has shifted, especially around sexual and gender identity questions, yeah. and moved away from a biblical position on it, then there's been a reasoning back from where culture is into saying, if this is where culture is, then I question whether or not the Bible is true. Yeah. And of course, that flow of thought, we, we ought to examine it graciously, but we ought to be aware of the flow of thought. And then, to be totally honest, there are times where people are just hurt in the faith, yes. where we fail to live up to what we have 
been called to be and do as believers. Yeah. And that can cause people to, to question. But also I think there can just be an invitation to the rebellion of people who say, I don't want to follow Jesus, and so I'm going to deconstruct my faith to justify why I don't need to follow Jesus. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Abdu, because as I listen to Dave, I think about how the questions have shifted, right? So now the questions are typically around justice and identity, yeah. right? So human sexuality, race and ethnicity, uh, those types of issues, and you're right, Dave, a lot of people are saying, this is where culture is, this is where Christianity is, I'm gonna agree with cultures, so therefore my faith must be wrong, right? But it used to be that we heard a lot of evidential questions about the historicity of scripture. I think about uh, Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He was answering different questions than justice questions. As you have spent a lot of time on college and university campuses, um, what are you hearing as far as some of the major questions that are causing doubt for the Christian faith. Yeah, well, I think, I think you're, you're nailing it right on the head is that the questions indeed have shifted and they've centered more on justice, more on some social issues. Um, and we have to be very careful that we don't pigeonhole that into, oh, that's an SJW kind of mentality because the Bible actually is practically obsessed with yeah. issues of justice, fairness, and morality. Yeah. Um, uh, so we have to be careful there, but they have shifted. In fact, it used to be the case that you go on a college campus and what you prepare for is questions like, how can you possibly believe someone rose from the dead? How can you possibly believe that, we, that God had anything to do with creation when evolution has clearly debunked the creation myths of the Bible? Um, don't you know that this book and this book have contradictions in them within the Bible and we shouldn't uh, believe this book after all? It's the, this uh, book of dusty old times for dusty old people. Um, those questions are still being asked, but not the primary question anymore. The primary question that's being asked is not, is the Bible true? The question is, is the Bible moral? Mm. That's the first question they ask, mm. or it's the primary question. Is God good? Is God good? Um, is Christianity, maybe there's a God, but it certainly isn't the God of the Bible because yeah. X, Y, Z reasons. Um, uh, does the Bible justify all kinds of social ills? These are the questions now, even if they're, even, if they're not asking them outright, they're definitely thinking them. Yeah. So I find that <clears throat> they are wondering, do science and the Bible conflict? Yeah. They are wondering, uh, is there historicity behind this book or is it a book of fables? They're wondering that, mm -hmm. but they're primarily concerned with, I read some troubling passages or I saw Sam Harris on his podcast talk about how the Bible condones slavery or Richard Dawkins says that God is a malevolent, pestilential, a megalomaniacal, a genocidal bully. Yeah. And that's a lot of... I'm impressed, impressed that you said that. Yeah. <laughs> you were able to remember that. I don't know how I got it out of my head. But, um, but they're wondering, is, is this book... True? Is this true? Because yeah. you can tell me all day long that Luke got right in the first chapters that Lysianius was co-tetrarch of Abila. Yeah. Who cares if the Bible is sexist inherently? Who cares yes. if the Bible is inherently racist? Um, and then you have to answer that question because... You can get to the evidential questions, but you have to get to the moral questions now because that's, I think, at the heart of the deconstruction is if there's hypocrisy in the church, if there's a social issue that is being ignored, or if the Bible is responsible for these things, then why should I believe anything you say after that? And I think it's important for us to acknowledge this because I think the Bible properly understood, Christianity properly lived, discipleship properly given um, in the church, 
leads to a realization that the Bible is actually not the cause of society's ills, but could help us cure them. Yeah, absolutely. And that certainly has been our history. A fair reading of history shows that the church, although we have not been perfect, Dave, as you said, there have been abuses, uh, by and large has been the greatest contributor to answering the ills of what is broken in the world. You know, when I wrote my book, Urban Apologetics, Dave, one of the lines that I put in there is that whenever culture is asking a question of the gospel and we, the church, don't give an answer, they assume it's because there is no answer. And, uh, and oftentimes, maybe even uh, equally as dangerous as giving the wrong answer to a question is answering the wrong questions. Many of us have not been wrestling with these questions that you and Abdu are bringing up. Why is it important for the church not to condemn the questioner or the question, but to take seriously these questions and to wrestle with them? Yeah, I think anytime someone comes up with a question like this, they do so after a great deal of personal wrestling and fear if they've raised up in the church. Yeah. Right? And so try to imagine for a second, and this can be an exercise perhaps for parents who are tuning in whose kids have finally come out with questions that are really difficult. Yes. Imagine this question kind of sitting there that they've heard from their friends or that society around them has put out there and they realize that it feels like a rejection of yeah. their parents, of their love, of their upbringing, of what they've experienced that's good in the church. And then they finally come out and ask that question. Yes. And that takes courage. Yes. And when we hear that question, how we respond is going to be paramount both in our attitude, but also in our attitude toward what's true, mm -hmm. to yes. be able to respond with grace and truth, to, to say, we, we love you and like we acknowledge this is a hard thing for you to process through and ask, yeah. but the truth still matters. Yes. Because if we just pretend like the truth doesn't matter, th there are facts that we agree matter in life, right? I'm going to yes. wear a seatbelt because at some point I'm going to be in a car accident and I don't want to die, yes. right? That's a fact that I'm just going to adopt for life because it's wisdom, it's right, it's true that my odds of surviving a car accident decrease if I don't wear a seatbelt. Yes. And in the same manner, we care about the eternal outcome of a soul. And yes. so if we, we certainly need to respond with grace, with understanding the, the pain of that and say, this is a place where we can ask questions and explore yes. together. And as we explore, if you don't know an answer, if you're you know, tuning in and you say, I've been asked this question, I'm just hoping they get to my question today, yes. right? And you don't know the answer. I'm sure we have resources that can help you find that. But to say, let's explore together yeah. rather than just shut it down out of fear because God has the answers and he's not afraid. Yes, He knows the answers and he's going to show them to us in his timing as we wait on him. Well, you know, Dave, I just want to take what you just said, say a big amen and take it maybe one step further and say, not only should we be safe places for uh, people to ask questions and respond in grace, we should intentionally create spaces for people to uh, come and ask their questions. I think one of the coolest things is uh, what has been happening in your family with your son and, and his friends, and maybe you could share about that, but, but I'll just say this, in, in reading, uh, again, going back to, uh, to Fuller, and their youth institute, they recently have uh, released uh, a book in which they talk about three big questions and they chronicle this deconstruction movement. And uh, one of the things that they say, Kara uh, Powell, is that one of the number one reasons why people are leaving the church is because they don't feel there's a culture of being able to process the tough questions. 
So for parents, for pastors, if there is someone who comes to you with their tough questions, count it a privilege and an honor that they did so. But we need to work hard to create those spaces where we say, hey, all of, all of church is not me talking at you, but there are going to be some spaces for us to process questions. Just in brief, can you just talk about what's happening at your own dinner table, your own patio, yeah, your, yeah. with your family? Well, uh, we started off uh, raising our kids with, there's no question off limits. Whatever you want to ask us, you can ask us. You will never get judgment from the question you've asked. If you express doubt, you will not get judgment. If you express fear about something, you will not get judgment. What you will get is somebody who wants to hear what you have to say. And this is from a very early age. And so, and they took me up on it. Um, they're, if you help that with your children, they will ask you questions. They're going to ask anyway. The, the, the long and short of it is this. People have questions and they will get answers. The question is from where? Yeah. And if they're not from you, it's going to be somewhere. Yes. Um, so what we've been doing and what my son uh, has been, uh, Yusuf has been a part of is organizing is that our church has these various life groups. And so we started a life group a few years ago called Tough Questions, Real Answers. And the goal was to have, I think the ages were 13 to 30, so quite a, quite a spectrum, uh, come to our house every other Thursday and we'll feed you and we'll hash it out. I'm in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we get we get food, and then everyone sits around in, at the house, um, and um, they bring up any question they want. They pop them off, whatever it might be, biblical questions, social questions, justice questions, theological questions, and then I don't answer them uh, right away. What we do is we try to hash it out so that everyone can own some of the answer, yeah. because when they own it, it sticks. Yeah. Um, and it grew from like five people to like 40. Um, so wow. uh, we have this picture uh, uh, my good friend Joe Mastro gave me a printout of it of all these people in my house. Um, and we've had people from other faiths come as well. Uh, and a young guy um, named, I, he's okay with me telling this story because I know him well and I, I got to baptize him. Uh, a guy named Trey came to our house um, and he wasn't having it. Uh, constantly, you know, who says? Where does that, how do you know that? You know, a lot of that stuff, skeptical. Um, got saved that night. Praise God. Um, and uh, a little while later, I said, you know, I baptize my kids now, so I'm open for business. I, I didn't want to baptize anybody until I baptized my kids. He heard that, and he said, well, did you baptize me? And I got to baptize him. Praise God. Allowing a safe place for questions leads to that. It doesn't yes. always lead to that. It's not a magic bullet, yes. but it does lead to that stuff. Yes. And so if you are, and if I can just add this one little spot, spot, because what you guys have hit on is so biblical. When the Apostle Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, create a space. Yes. Don't just wait for the space. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. I interpret that to basically be, I mean, Paul's a Middle Easterner. He is not efficient with his conversations. That's not our people. Um, but what he means by that is address the issue that person actually cares about, not yes. the question you hope they ask, but the question they're actually asking. And then let your, great, your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. We have to refrain from our desire to answer each controversy, each political view, or each objection of the faith. We answer people who have those issues, yeah. but the Apostle Paul, under the guise of the Holy Spirit, I think, was very clear. We answer people, because questions don't need answers, but people do, yeah. and they use their questions, and they use their objections to get those answers. So deconstruction is a vehicle towards stronger faith, as you already said. You know, I know enough about Dave to know that one of the things I most admire and appreciate about you, Dave, is just your willing to be a sojourner, your willingness to walk with someone through that process. I think part 
of um, where the church is being challenged right now is just in a microwave society, what it means to be patient and relational. Can you just talk a little bit about that, Dave, that if we are encountering somebody who's going through a deconstruction period of their life, how important it is for us to just walk with them? What does that look like? Yeah, yeah, I think bef- two, two points here. The first, more of a theological point, that before we believe things about God, we believe in the person God, right? The yes. personhood of God. And, and so we're not just trying to get someone to agree with a set of theological propositions. Yeah. We're trying to get them to have a relationship with the Almighty Creator. And we believe that He is present and He works and He doesn't live dictated by our timing. Yeah. And sometimes he, he has reasons beyond our reasons to be in his timing. And so I love how Bonhoeffer speaks in life together, saying in Christian brotherhood, you'll speak more to God about your brother than you will to your brother about God. Mm. And to say, are we believing that God is present and active? Because if we have that faith in a present God, then we're able to operate in much of the attitude that Abdu just talked about. Yes. To say, I, I don't need to force myself upon this person. I don't need to force my logic upon them, my will upon them, because I believe God is present. And when he wants to move, he will move. I just need to keep on moving in faith. That's good. And then as we think through just the practical of what that looks like, um, I was you know, doing my quiet times, kind of aware of what was going to be on, and yes. just happened to be reading through Second Timothy and was struck by these verses as it relates to walking with someone through deconstruction. In 2 Timothy 2.24, we read the Lord's servant, which I hope we all hope to be, right? That's not just professionals. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you seek to help someone, they're not happy about it. But to be patient with them, through that process, to correct with gentleness, and God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Yeah. And so it just brings us yeah. back to be patient, be gentle, That's be willing good. to endure whatever comes in that conversation because God may act and we have faith in a God who loves and is good. You know, I say this, uh, you know, on my radio program, I often get parents who call and say, my son, my daughter, they're they're walking away from the faith, they have questions or they have, I need your help in getting them back, right? And I will often say, when you're in that situation, it's as much about God calling you to grow as it is about trying to win them back. Good buddy of mine often says, God is always up to a hundred things at one time. It's not just about what he's doing in that person, but what he's doing in you. So if you are a parent, if you are a friend, if you are a spouse, and you're seeing a loved one who is wrestling with really big questions, don't just try to outsource it uh, for someone else to help them, but considering an invitation from God for you to grow. Maybe that means I got to read some books on this. Maybe that means I need to listen to those questions and process with them, uh, I think that part of patience and walking with people is being willing to learn and grow ourselves. Abdu, uh, I couldn't end this conversation without talking about the reverse side of the coin, and that is evangelism. We're called to help people to deconstruct. We're actually called to help people to deconstruct from disbelief to faith in Christ 
from false religion to faith in Christ, you've been through that. You were raised as a devout Muslim. You were pretty passionate about defending Islam. What is that like to go through deconstruction from one belief to faith in Christ? And I think this is such an important uh, thing for us to talk about because I can tell you that you know, when you change a conviction you have, and it can be superficial, like a, like, a, like a social conviction or a conviction about, I like this kind of ice cream or Marvel versus DC, uh, you know, these are sort of superficial things. But if they're stronger and stronger and stronger and religious, especially when you're a Middle Easterner, religion is identity. Um, and so you're asking people nowadays, when you ask them to suggest that their convictions might be wrong, they take it as if they have to change completely. And that's oftentimes true. I mean, Jesus did say, you have to die to yourself. And he was serious about it. Uh, so it was very difficult because identity is wrapped up in it. There's consequences to that kind of a decision in so many ways. And identity is a big part of it. Um, what was interesting, though, and this is where I think the gospel message is such a, when it's properly given, and th I thank God there were people who gave it in a certain tone and in a certain way that wasn't just, hey, your beliefs are false, um, which is, I think, it can be sort of a cynical way to approach things. And I'm not against polemics. Polemics is basically the negative, uh, pointing out the negative about someone else's beliefs. Um, uh, apologetics is a defense of something. And there can be defensive and offensive apologetics. But what happened with me was I didn't leave that worldview because I found, look, here are the 15 problems with it. Mm -hmm. I actually embraced this worldview because I found this answers all of my yeah. big questions. Yeah. Yeah. And it satisfied my soul in a way that nothing else could. So I didn't leave this because this was false. I embraced this because this was true. Um, uh, now, by definition, all those things which uh, the various facets of other belief systems that contradict the Christian faith. I believe if you believe this is true, everything else that contradicts yeah. it has to be categorically yes. false. But that's not why I became a Christian. So I would say in one sense, my deconstruction was actually um, almost like a photo negative of what a lot of folks go, where they poke a hole in this mm -hmm. and then leave it, and now there's a vacuum there. Um, uh, it was, I wanted to know if this is true. And I began to see these are the good reasons for, I didn't want it to be yes. true. I had no desire for it to be true. But over time it built up. And so it was this simultaneous wrestle with the deconstruction, wrestle with the construction um, of the Christian faith and uh, see is this worth believing. And so it didn't fill a vacuum. It simply just replaced all the holes that, um, I found lacking in other places, and so it filled that up. So I say that because deconstruction doesn't have to be simply criticism. Yes. It can actually be critical thinking about something and recognizing there can be a truth somewhere else because you can't just believe nothing. Yeah. You gotta believe something. Well, and, and this is where I think Dave's caution to us to not just accept the invitation to the rebellion is really good. What I hear in you is that there really was a quest uh, to find what is true, what is beautiful, what is good, right? And uh, if, if you are sincerely looking for that, then one of the questions you have to answer is, if my questions are answered by the gospel, will I believe, right? 
And if it doesn't matter to you what the truth really is, then yeah, you're just invited to the rebellion. But if you really are searching for the true, for the beautiful, for the good, the gospel is the answer. And uh, I pray, Dave, that uh, Woodside will be a church that cultivates that. I pray that believers will strive to be that safe place uh, for people who are processing through their doubts. Uh, and I pray that this conversation has really been uh, helpful and encouraging, not only to the person who maybe is questioning, but to the friend who uh, gets the privilege of being able to walk alongside of them. Uh, Pastor Dave, can you pray for us? I'd be honored to. Dear God, we know that you are truth because you took on flesh and you said it. We know that you are beauty, that out of your voice, all beauty we've ever conceived was spun into motion. We know that you are love, because greater love has no one than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus, we believe you are present with us. You said you wouldn't leave us. God, for people who are tuning in, who are ready to tune out faith, to tune out you, God, I pray you would reach them right now. I pray they would know your love and your presence, that they would understand that you are a person and not just a set of answers, that you as God are someone with whom we can relate and know and that we have the privilege and joy and hope in front of us of spending eternity moving further up and further into that truth. God, for people tuning in who are hurting, who are just looking for a simple answer to bring back a friend, a child, a spouse into the faith. God, I pray that you would bind up their wounded soul, that they would know you are closer than a brother, that they would believe in your love for their loved one, and that they would cast their burdens upon you. And God, in your perfect time, would you move to restore these people we love. God, we believe you can handle our questions. You have shown yourself able. Give us the faith to rest in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Dave, uh, Abdu, thanks for joining me today. And friends, uh, again, I hope you've been blessed. There will be resources that are in the postscript for this particular program. Please uh, read those resources, investigate them. They're designed to help you as well. And until we're together again next time on The Link, have a great day.